Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today I am very excited to bring you Scott Littleton, a.k.a. Chaotic Scott. Scott did a... uh, had a marathon this past fall, and in preparation for that marathon, set a bunch of PRs. He was doing great, especially for someone who's really only been seriously running for two and a half years. And yet, this guy, who frankly looks like an MMA fighter uh, instead of a runner, he just has an incredible body, big, strong guy, bunch of tattoos, and uh, here he is running. He had some big-time goals set out for himself for this marathon, and as you're about to hear, what happened to him happens to a lot of people, frankly. His, uh, his marathon dreams were dashed at the last moment. I'm not going to give away the story, but needless to say, if you've struggled with your expectations not being met before the race has even started, you're going to want to listen to this episode uh, with Scott Littleton. So before you do, also I just want to leave you a, a quick heads up. I really appreciate uh, the, uh, the iTunes reviews on the podcast. I think I've gotten 12 reviews in total and almost all of them have been five stars. I really appreciate everyone who's done that. If you write a review too, my man Calman did it. And uh, Cal, I really appreciate it. I know you listened to all the episodes, so thank you so much for doing that. And uh, not only does it feel good to, to see those reviews, but it actually helps spread the podcast to other runners who are potentially interested and uh, might want to listen themselves. So thank you for doing that. Also, if you want to get involved with the Facebook fan page, you can certainly do that. Uh, Go on to Facebook and just type in the Rambling Runner Podcast, or the link is also in my Instagram bio. That's enough about me. Let's hear more about Scott Littleton. So thank you so much for listening, and happy running. Hello, Scott, and welcome to the Rambling Runner Hey, Matt. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yes, no problem. I've been looking forward to it. That makes two of us. I've been uh, enjoying following uh, your running progress recently, and uh, I know you have an interesting story to tell. Um, But before we get into it, I just want to uh, just go over a couple things. we got your quick bio for you from a running perspective. Uh, 5K PR of 1948, 10K PR of 40 minutes, 10 seconds, half marathon PR of 129, and a marathon PR of 327. So, Scott, you obviously uh, have run a lot of different distances. And I will say this. I'll just start it off by talking about the first thing I noticed about you, which is just the size of you. You look like an MMA fighter as opposed (laughs) to a runner. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So what – yeah, so what what brought you to running? Um, Well – it started, I guess, in uh, 2015. My sister actually had signed me up for a 10K race. And this was in February. So the race was scheduled for April. And I had been working out for a while and enjoying the gym and some cardio, but never running. Um, I had grown up playing baseball, but running was never kind of in my sights. So when she signed me up for that, I started running with her and just – running a couple miles here and there. So I finished that 10K after, I guess I would probably run three. I think the most I had run up until that point for those two months was like four miles. So, But I finished that 10K in 51 minutes. 
and a family friend of ours who was a Boston marathoner, which I knew nothing about at the time, had come and talked to me. And uh, he said that you look like you have some potential of being a runner. So a little while later, I got to researching and finding out about the Boston Marathon and figuring out this guy must know what he's talking about. So (laughs) (laughs) that kind of put a little fire in me. And uh, it just progressed from there. So when you first heard that, that, that he said that to you after the race, what was your first inclination? That that there was absolutely something that I could do with this. Interesting, because you obviously, as you mentioned, you had you have like three months of training to get ready mm-hmm. for it, but not hardcore. Sounds like you were going basically twenty miles a week. So did yeah. you did you go into that race with any goal in mind? Not that one. Um, so after that race, I just continued to do what I, I, in all actuality, Matt, it goes back to, uh, I stayed running as kind of a, a little bit of a penance for the lifestyle that I had lived prior to some, some choices that we make in life aren't always the best ones. You know what I mean? So from the chaos that my life was before, Finding fitness through cardio in the gym, which was my my primary love to begin with, and then once I ran that first race, I thought, okay, here's something else I can add and become a better person. Period. And how exactly does you know physical fitness or working out or running? How does that do that for you? Well, it sets up what I found. Now, now this this goes to to today. If if I set up a goal, something to look forward to, I guess you could say on the horizon, that kind of puts a fire inside of me. And it's a passion to grind out my training now that I have and to shape myself into something better and be better than I was in some way, mind, mindfully, soulfully, mentally, in, in every way, running does that for me. And when did you realize that about yourself, that you kind of needed a goal to be like the primary thing in your life to kind of keep you on a certain path? Well, I did the, I did the second 10K, which wasn't until a, a year later. And I finished that, I think, a little better. I think it was like 48, 48 minutes. So I thought, okay, you're getting a little better, even though you're not really running a whole lot. I then ran a Thanksgiving, that one of the turkey trots. No, no, let me back up. I did another 10K um, at a small school, and there was a little four foot eleven woman that was in front of me running, and she was beating me. And I was thinking to myself, there's no way this woman is outrunning me. Who in the world is this? So in my mind at that time running, I was supposed to be fast, even though I didn't know anything about fast. I just thought I was so she stopped <laughs> she she stopped it was this was hot it was in May and it was the humidity was unreal but she stopped at the uh three mile mark which was the turnaround 3.1 and she got some water and in my mind I said okay you've messed up now because I'm going by you and I'm not looking back so <laughs> I, I passed her and finished the race and I beat this little four foot eleven woman, and that was exciting for me because she was ahead of me in the beginning. So we talked at the end of the race, and she's running Boston Marathon next year. But um, 
I did a another. Here's another funny story about another runner. I guess I did a 10k to Turkey Trot, and this was last year, and I finished fourth place overall. But there was an older man that was there. Come to find out, he was 59. But I trailed him the whole time. So we got done with the race, and a group of runners. Now by this time, I've met local runners in the area, and they had set up a, a group run on New Year's. So there was about 25 local runners that had all gotten together. So we had all planned. Goldsboro has a half marathon in February, and a lot of really good half or marathoners come because that's prior to the season getting started, you know, and they can get that good feel of what they can run their half in and try to base their marathon off of it. So my only goal after running – we all found out we were running that together. So whenever February came along, my only goal was to beat the man that beat me at the turkey trot. <laughs> so <laughs> I did. I ran a, a 130.35, which was a nine-minute PR from my prior half marathon. And at the end of the race, I told Michael Arnold, is his name, I went up to him and I said, look, my only goal today was to beat you no matter what happened because you beat me in the turkey trot. And here this man is, 59 years old. He put both hands on my shoulders and he says, well, you know what that means, Scott? It's on the next time we race. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So I can see, you know, you, you, know, you sound like the nicest guy in the world. You, you're very, like, you sound like very respectful in our conversation. But it's obvious that you have a very competitive streak as well. Yes. Was that was that one of those things that for you you've grown into or has that just been, you know, the day you came out you were just a competitive guy? I think it was always there and there was just I didn't really have an outlet for it. You know, playing baseball was one thing. Yeah, uh, but but running uh you you always want to be the best you can be. You know you're not going to be better than everybody else. But there's always that there's certain people in especially in local races that I pick out and I go, okay, those are going to be the ones I want to hang around and see what I can do. See if I can be, be better than what they look like they are. So <laughs> it's a, it's a little drive that I don't know if it's healthy or not healthy, but it's something that I am. Well, it's, it's, it's unique in a way. I think I, you know, not, I shouldn't say unique, but I would say the vast majority of runners are probably more focused on splits and they have a goal time. They say, all right, I'm not competitive. Like, I'm not going to win this race. So I'm just going to go out and try to beat the best time that I think I can. But it seems like you have a, a different approach. So do you go into these races with certain paces in mind before you start? Yeah, I definitely do now. I did it then. Um, like I said, when I first started running, it was just to to straighten things out in my life. But somehow it, – it, even so, when I was first running, that for, after I did the first 10K, I would run in the summertime, and I'd run in the hottest part of the day. Now, you know, now this is, I had no running knowledge. I just ran. So even through punishing myself and running in misery and sweat, I fell in love with running. So I did the half Ks, I mean the 10Ks and half marathons, and started meeting other runners and met some ultra runners in our community who run 100 mile races in 19 hours, you know, which is astonishing to me. But 
these were the ones that put on the group runs on New Year's. Well, I decided in April of this year to get a coach. And that's where now, of course, I set up. We have plans and goals and a, a race plan every time we run. So that's made my life a lot easier. Yeah, I can imagine. And just looking at your PR times, you know, looking at the 5K, 10K, and half marathon. So some of the shorter races before you dive into the marathon, it seems like you have, you, you're more geared towards, at least at this point in your running career, in some of the faster stuff, right? 1948 for the 5K, which is roughly, what, 622 pace, mm-hmm. you know, 4010 in the 10K, which is, you know, a wonderful 10K time, and then 129 and a half marathon, which is a shade under seven-minute pace. So when you were – so you, you ran a marathon a couple of weeks ago, and I can't wait to talk about this because I think it's a yeah. – <laughs> I, think, I think that what you experience is something that a lot of people experience. I think you build a shed light on some things. But first of all, how do you pronounce this marathon's name? I'm looking at it, and I can't pronounce it. Okay, <laughs> the the one that I just did is um, the Kauai. Is that how you pronounce no, it? It's it's Kiowa Island in, in South Carolina. It's right outside of Charleston. Okay, it so was a really Kiowa. Re, yeah Kiowa. It's a really beautiful place, uh, but that that's that. But yeah, we'll delve into that story in a little while, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because so, so the Kiowa Marathon. So all right, so before you started your lead up to this race. So basically you've been running, you know, you basically started your running career in earnest about three years ago. Right. So, so in the lead up to this race, kind of going through the summer before you really started diving in and you had these certain 5k, 10k half marathon uh, PRs, or you're doing really well. Did you have a certain marathon time that you were thinking about that you would like to get a certain marathon time that you would like to get to, or that your coach had in mind for you? Yeah, whenever I got in touch, um, I'm sure you know who Patrick Cutter is. Mm-hmm. Okay, when he ran Boston last year and I saw his physique, I thought, okay, if this man, he hasn't ever missed a gym day ever. He's, <laughs> you know, he's huge, he's ripped up. And so I followed his, his marathon. And after the Boston Marathon, I started – you know, kind of, I guess what we do on, on social media, stalking him out and trying to find out more about him. So I found out he was with the group that I'm with now, McCurdy Trained. And um, so I sent out some emails and that James McCurdy got back in touch with me really quick. And um, we talked on the phone and he asked me, you know, what were some of my goals? And my goal at that point, like any avid runner, I guess, was to qualify for Boston. So for my age bracket, that's a 315. In order to get in, you know, I want to be able to run a 310. At that time, my half marathon best was 134. So, but I had never run further than 15 miles. So, I got to talking with my coach, whose name is Michael Crouch. And um, so, that was my goal for us to run a 310 marathon. So, we trained all through the summer. I didn't really, uh, have any races leading up to that except for a 10k race in may of last year and this was put on this is pretty silly it was put on by north carolina road racers club so me and my coach talked about it and we thought okay this will be a nice little 10k we'll just see where we're at in 
Michael had just started working together. So I signed up for this 10K. Like I said, it's North Carolina Road Racers Club. I get out there to run the race, and it's through Umstead Park in Raleigh. If anybody knows anything about that, it's a trail run. <laughs> so that was pure misery. It ended up being nothing like I thought it would be. <laughs> So at that so, yeah so at that point so you're so you're doing that you get you get that race on your belt and you hadn't raced at that point what for four or five months and for a competitive guy like you you must have just been chomping at the bit to start competing yeah I was and it, it ended horribly I ended up getting a little hip hip flexor strain so I had to sit out for a little while because I wasn't used to the trails and the running up hills and things of that nature so once I finally healed up we got to training and. Uh, we set up this time we knew that we wanted to get some 10k a 10k race and a half marathon race now when I started training this is like any other thing he redid how I ran period I always just went outside and ran just I didn't have any paces I just ran as hard as I could almost not a full out sprint, you know, but I pushed myself in what I thought was a respectable pace and ran that every single time I ran. So when I started working with McCurdy and they taught me about conversational paces and easy paces, moderate paces, that's whenever I started to see the growth. And that's how the the speed came into work, I guess. So for you, what was the biggest difference with that? Because I know for me, when I started really diving into making sure that my easy runs were easy, it really helped me light up the track on the hard days. What was the, what was the effect for you? Oh, same thing. Most definitely. At first it was really hard to accept the fact that a coach was slowing me down and yes. didn't want to yes. <laughs> and didn't want to see what kind of speed I had. I just didn't understand it. It, it didn't make sense. So, but I also knew though, that some of my other friends, local runners that I followed on social media, I would see their practice runs, say, and where they were logging nine-minute miles and eight-and-a-half-minute miles. And I thought, okay, I know all of us are racing this same race. I'm going to smoke them. But then on race day, here they are, right along, right with me, you know, at our seven-and-a-half, 740 paces at that time. And I'm thinking, why? How are they running so slow practicing? So then it started all to make sense. Well, <clears throat> now my body's recovering from our easy runs and I'm seeing the speed on our workout and our track days. And I'm amazed. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's so true. And I think the other part too, especially for people who have a competitive streak um, in them and who really want to like get after it on a day by day basis is that the idea of the easy day is hard at first because you feel like you're like wasting the day in a way, or like that you're not being tough because you're not putting it all out on the line. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a big ego thing, I think, and, and something that we have to put ourselves in check with, but that becomes part of, for me, those are the days that I just am thankful that I'm out there. And then I know that I get to put in that work, that, one hard workout day and then the other little speed, the little strides that I get to do. And then the second workout that I get to do during the week, I'm always amazed at my times and how much more fluent and effortless they become. 
Right. So, so you got your, your half marathon PR, like we mentioned is 129. So when did that come mm-hmm. into play? Okay. So when we set up to run Kiowa, like I said, my coach wanted to get a good 10 K in and, and a good half marathon, all this, we weren't really going to taper for these races because my A goal was Kiowa Island. So <clears throat> the half marathon came first. That was, we ran Richmond, November the 11th. And our goal was to start at about, I think it, I think it was 650 and just progressively get down and give it everything we got toward the last three. And that ended up being an absolute perfect run. It wasn't because I had a marathon in, in a month, you know, we weren't racing that race all out. He just wanted me to feel absolutely comfortable, push hard, but not, you know, extremely hard. Don't go out there and try to kill yourself. So we ran that race and everything worked out beautiful. And I came through at 129.50 and I was amazed that the, the, the look on my face was just of astonishment that I had crossed the line under 130, feeling good, never, never feeling like I was overwhelmed during that race. Now, did you, uh, were you tracking your paces on your watch during that race? Yes, yes, I was. Um, I made sure that I was under 650, under 640, and then there were two miles during that race where there were some hills and where I didn't, I wasn't watching as closely as I should, but I was just going by feel where my time, my splits were over. So I think one was 708 and one was a 704. So I was like, no, this isn't happening. <laughs> so, but I got them back under control and came back with the last, last mile being a smoking mile, but there's a great, great downhill on that last mile at the Richmond half marathon. If you're ever thinking about running half marathon, it was beautiful. And that's a cool course. Oh, isn't that nice of them putting it downhill yes. on the last mile? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is awesome and it is steep and you will fly. Oh, wow. So when you were, so say like around mile seven, eight, nine, when you're, when you're clicking off that 645-ish pace, what was going through your mind in terms of like figuring out, hey, like this is, feels really good. I feel comfortable. And at the same time, I'm running faster than I ever had. What was that experience like for you? Oh, it was transcendent. Like all I could think in my mind, and I've, I've never raced like this, the, the last uh, – half marathon that I had raced prior to that I hit the wall at 10 but like again again this was without coaches without training it was just me trying to go out there and run but I was what I had set up in my mind was to run about a 730 31 and a half I mean a, a 131 and a half so at mile 10 I actually had to walk and I thought, man, this is horrible. <laughs> and I was out of breath. I mean, I couldn't, I, it was everything I could do to walk and run. But I still ended up finishing that half marathon at one one thirty four. But on this one, I'm running and I, all I can think like on mile nine was, okay, I'm almost a mile 10 and all I have is a 5K left and I'm feeling fantastic. <laughs> so once I got to mile 10, I knew what I what I was going to do and I dropped it and dropped it and dropped it and I finished I think the last mile was a six six thirty thirty three and uh it I can't even explain the the promise that I thought was going to be 
for my next upcoming marathon. Yeah, and that's exactly you. You took the question right out of my mouth. So at that point, so you, you know, obviously you're you're feeling great, and then you know the next time you talk to your coach, what effect did that race have on your race plan and race goals for Kiowa? Oh, well, <clears throat> we were originally going to try to run about a three twelve at that time. After that race, we said, look, we think we can do the three ten. Let's let's see what we let's see what happens on our next long run and see how much of the the half marathon is still in your legs. So <clears throat> everything looked good. My my next the the following weekend, my long run wasn't bad at all. It wasn't what I wanted it to be, but I was still good. Then we had the ten K the following week after that on Thanksgiving. That was the same thing. He wanted to go in um and we had talked about running a sub 40, but not pushing too hard again because my marathon would be two weeks after that. So he didn't want my legs to be recovering so much from and not be able to get in some of my other workouts leading up to Kiowa Island. So that was, again, the same thing. He wanted to start the 10K at about a 650 and progress down and give it everything I got. He said, on the last mile, um, I want you to eat up runners, pass as many people as you can. And that's exactly what we did. Well, there's not many 10K runners that were in. No, no, none of them were in front of me at that point, but there was a bunch of 5K runners that were all, the course met back up. So that race had started out pretty good. I started the first mile. It was a little too fast. I think it was 637, but then I slowed it down and then, kept the last three right where I wanted them and finished up strong and hard and weaving in and out of 5k runners to finish. That was my very first, uh, first overall win. So again, that was a big confidence booster. I would say so winning a race, of course, (laughs) you're only competitively running for two and a half years and you go out and win a 10 K. I would think that would have a positive effect on your confidence. (laughs) Yeah, it, it, it was amazing. And, and being with a coaching group, my heart rate stayed fantastic. You know, it, I think my average heart rate for that run was uh, 150. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so that's two weeks out from the marathon. You're yes. obviously, you're, 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 you're the definition of peaking at this point. And then, obviously, like every marathoner, there's some sort of, you know, taper at the end, whether it's a two- or three-week yep. taper. And then and then disaster strikes. I guess that's the only yeah. way I can think of it. From, yeah, a, from, a, ex- from, from a running perspective, disaster <laughs> no, strikes. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> – there's no other way to describe it, Matt. I mean, uh, everything was looking so great. And, you know, we did a what was going into, like like you said, a, a two-week taper is what we do for, for my marathons. And um, – so nothing changed. You know, it's not like I ran any different routes around where I'm from. I didn't change up my shoes, you know, nothing at all. And the taper was going good. My legs were feeling springy. Um, the only thing my coach and I talked about after the race, um, he, he didn't mention it when I told him that my, I could start feeling my shins. Um, I did run the week Okay, so we did a two-week taper, not the week right before, but the, the the first week of the taper. I stopped looking at my watch for pace, and so for my easy runs, 
instead of keeping them controlled. And I don't know if this is what it is, but I just, this is what my coach and I talked about. Instead of keeping them controlled, I just let my body run on field. So they tended to be progressive runs, even on my easy days. So I, my first miles typically anywhere from 8.30 to 8.19, which is the same thing that was going on. But then they were dropping to 8.05 and 7.56 and 7.40s. And these are eight, you know, eight and 10 mile runs where I'm averaging seven. 745, 750 during my taper week. So I don't know if that played a part in it, whether so, but that is something that we talked about after the race. But everything went fine. I did my last long run of 12 miles the, the week before. That Monday, I had Sunday off. So the Monday, so six days till race day, when I did my, my run, I could feel my shins kind of like a dull ache in so both, both legs. So both legs, okay. Yeah, both legs. So I felt the dull ache, and it kind of went away after maybe, I want to say, within the first three-tenths of the first mile. So three-tenths of a mile, the, the, the pain, when it, well, it wasn't really a pain. It was just a dull, like I said, a dull ache. Went away, and I didn't think anything else of it. <clears throat> Didn't tell my coach about it, and uh, when I went out to run Tuesday, I felt it again, and I said, hmm, you know what? I'm not going to run today. We're too close to this marathon. I'm going to text my coach, let him know what's going on. So I text him, and he immediately called me, and uh, we talked. He said, well, because it is in both legs, he said it doesn't concern me that it could be a stress fracture because typically – if it's a stress fracture, then you, it's only in one or, you know, it, it wouldn't be the pain I was describing to him. So he said, you know, do what you did, take the day off, and let's go back for our run Wednesday. Take it easy. It was supposed to be a workout day. So he kind of even cut the workout a little bit shorter. So I did my run Wednesday. And, I again, I could feel it in both shins. And it lasted a little bit longer this time, maybe sort of within a mile and a half, it stopped bothering me. And I finished out my run. I ended up being on a treadmill that day at my gym. So I'm looking and I'm in front of a window the whole time and my gait's not affected. So I thought, okay, maybe we're okay. Now I wake up Thursday morning and step out of the bed and I can feel the ache in both shins and the, oh, and no. the and, yeah and the muscle right above my ankles on the inside of both leg and I was like whoa what is this <laughs> so that's really when the heartbreak happened and I tried to run and I just couldn't I, there's a church that's about I don't know maybe two tenths of a mile from my driveway when I make my if I make a, a right I left out of my driveway for that route, then that's where the church is. And I got to about that church that morning, and I just pressed a stop on my watch and sat down on my knees and cried and prayed and thought, you know, this this is terrible. <laughs> yeah, and and first of all, thank you for for being so candid and frank about how you were feeling. Um, at that point, did you just say it's over? And, you know, it, what, what was going through your head? No, uh, 
at that point I have I knew that I had put in so much work. Like I said, we ran the half, we ran the ten K, we, we had set PRs and we were feeling good. But my A goal was coming up. So in my mind there was no way that I was giving up and I thought, Okay, I'll rest today. I'll rest Wednesday. And I kept thinking and I had already talked to coach about it uh that Tuesday and my my big concern was and i felt like i'm i'm a smart enough runner to know now that if i missed even if i wouldn't have ran wednesday if i missed tuesday wednesday thursday friday if i could warm up saturday and run saturday those few runs that i missed leading up to my marathon they weren't anything but keeping my legs going that wasn't right, going to give me right. any more speed. It wasn't going to make me a better runner on Saturday. I just wanted to get them in, and I couldn't. So I knew all wasn't lost, and I was hoping and praying for the best. Well, I think, uh, like I already said, there's quite a few local runners here who have uh, run the Boston Marathon and some ultra runners who are just – they're, they know their stuff. So they reached out to me and uh, told me about uh, a chiropractor in, in town that I could go to and they would do the infrared light treatment, the, the laser treatment on my leg, and that it had helped him out for some of his ultra running and his recovery and when he was having some problems also. So <clears throat> that's Friday morning. So I go and I talk to the chiropractor. I get there and she tells me, she then informs me that she's not going to be able to do the laser and infrared because of the tattoos on my leg. Oh, gosh. So, <laughs> yeah. That, you know, the, the laser and the light, the darker the pigment, the hotter it gets. So it would actually burn all the ink from my leg. So right, hold on, hold on. There, Scott. Yeah. I, got, I, have to, I have to ask you a quick question before we yeah. go any further. This yeah. is a captivating story and I don't want to miss a thing. But, okay. But people often talk about, tattoo regret did you ever yeah. think that this would be a tattoo regret moment wow i'm telling you i never in a million years thought having tattoos would affect my recovery of running no but yes <laughs> it it was immediate why have you done this <laughs> yep that was one of my my things i can say is that i was looking at that leg and all the money i had spent on those tattoos and and actually regretted them being there at that moment. <laughs> so what is, all right, last question about the tattoos. What is yeah. the tattoo that was on the shin that you were looking I, at at that moment? <laughs> well, there's Miss Marvel on this leg, and there's Harley Quinn, there's Supergirl, Wonder Woman, and Rogue are all on this leg. So <laughs> I think I was looking at uh, Miss Marvel at that time, thinking, why are you here? <laughs> they couldn't come together and, and power power up your leg for you i know wouldn't that have been great all right so so you're so you're there you're getting the treatment and then um did you have high expectations or are you just kind of like it was just more of a hope and a prayer yeah well she ended up doing what they call the grasping uh muscle treatment that's that it's a metal tool that looks like a, a knife it looks like a big butcher's cleaver and um so she did those on both of my shins and like I, uh, my coach had told me to, to make sure that she was aware that I had a marathon the next day and not to be too aggressive. Well, she's a runner also. She's from a family of runners. And like I said, she knew my friends who had sent me up there. So 
we did all that and I could feel the muscles loosening up. And at, at this point, I've never dealt with shin splints, never really dealt with a, a bad injury of the lower legs. So she explained to me all it was, was, you know, where my calf muscles were pulling against my shins. They were too tight. They hadn't been stretched. I, something had gone wrong. So I felt them loosening enough. I felt better. And I was feeling very, very hopeful. I was able to walk without any kind of pain and thinking, okay, all's going to be good. <sighs> so <laughs> we get to Kiowa. And there's only one way in and one way off of the island. So Saturday turned into <laughs> what you can call, I guess, a little bit of a disaster. Um, we were at a little cottage that was only 40 minutes from uh, the island itself. So we leave the house at 5.50 and we get there at 6, 6.25, something like that. And now we're sitting in line to get onto the island. And the way they do it at Kiowa is they bus you in from a big parking lot. So every all the runners park in a, a parking lot adjacent to getting onto the island. Well, we finally got on the bus after sitting for an hour, got on the bus at 7.30, got to the starting line. It was 7.50 already. <laughs> and what time, what time does the race supposed to start? 8 o'clock. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So here I am. I have sat in a car since 5.50 in the morning and then got onto a bus. And now we're walking up to the race and I'm getting to the corral and it's 7.50 and I have nowhere to warm up. And in my mind, I'm already thinking, you know, I just want to be able to run a little bit. If I can run a little bit, then I know I'm going to be okay. So I tell Joanne, you know, I'm going to go try to warm up, run back and forth and, it was so crowded, there was really nowhere to run. So I may have ran 500 meters before the race. And I didn't really feel any pain. Uh, so I was very, very hopeful that things were going to work out really smooth. Uh, my coach and I had uh, – our plan that day was to be very, very easy. He wanted to start out and finish the first half at around 130, 136, and finished the second half at 134, which is absolutely doable at the fitness level that I was at. Right. Um, that was being very conservative. It's a very flat race. He said, I've never seen a course this flat. There was 20 feet of elevation gain, Matt, if that tells you anything. I swear to God, Scott, my, my driveway <laughs> has more elevation gain than that. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, we get started, and it now it rained all day Friday, and it rained right up until we got in line at about 6.30. The rain stopped. So it was really ugly day on a beautiful island, and it was very cold. It was 40, 40 degrees, which now the Richmond Marathon, it was 26 degrees at start, which cold doesn't bother me, but wet cold does. So – there's no rain, but it's been it's been raining. The first four miles felt great. I didn't feel any pain whatsoever. My paces were right on easy, 7.15, no problem, 7.20. And mile five, I felt the dullness. And I thought, okay, 
it stays dull like this, we're still fine. I'm okay. So I'm running and I'm praying. I'm running and I'm praying. And mile six, I get through the 10K. Everything's fine. Just a small amount of dull pain. Somewhere between seven and eight, it hit and it was ex just extremely sharp. And I thought, man, this is, this is, this is just not good. <laughs> There's no other thing other than absolute heartbreak that I can say as, as the pain onset, I thought all this work that I've done now, I'll back up a little bit in my mind. I had already told myself I had to kind of prepare myself for the worst. I wanted to stay positive, but I thought, you know, if it comes down to me not being able to run, then I want to walk off the course and stand at a aid station and volunteer and try to, as, as a runner, I want to be positive and I want to pat people on the back and give kudos and do all that. Like, like all of us do, but this was also my a goal, something that I had been training for, for 12 weeks and, you know, had nothing but excitement and was pumped up for. So when the pain started at mile eight, I thought to myself, okay, you've got 18 more miles of this. Just 18 more miles, Scott. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Unbelievable. So I, 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 I don't know when this happened, but there are, there, I guess as when I started training for the marathon, you start looking forward to long runs. They become uh, very peaceful to us, I guess. And you don't count down miles anymore. You you look at them and go, yeah, I got this many to go and I can do it in this amount of time. And I got this. That's not the way my brain worked that day. <laughs> All it was was pure dread of how many miles I had to go. Um, you know, like I said, in, in Richmond, all I was thinking was, okay, I just need to get to mile 10 and I got three more and I'm going to rock those out. But this was just absolute dread of 18 more miles of this pain. At that time, I text Joanne and I said, this is hurting. And the only thing she said was, you know, follow your heart. So I thought to myself, you know, I'm a runner. And that's what I'm going to do. And my heart said, go, Scott, go run 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 only thing is my shins weren't going to allow me to do that the the pain just radiated with every every foot strike so it was it was a run walk a little bit let it let it dissipate and then go some more so what kind of mental gymnastics were you doing to get yourself through this race i know you in you know you you knew Harking back to when you started running and started competing, that you know what you did in races that you would find people near you and say, "I should be able to beat this person." I don't know why I think I should be able to beat this person, but I do. So I will then you know try to make that happen. So that was kind of what you used in the past. What did you use in this race to get you through? Because you can't, I would assume, just look at eighteen miles. And to tell you and say, yeah, I can do that. How did you break it up? And how, what were some of the strategies you used to do it? Okay. So at this point, I thought, uh, again, that I, I just won't forget that number. At eight, I'm on mile eight, and I've got 18 more to go. So I thought, okay, Scott, just get to the halfway point, and let's see how you feel. And if you want to change your mind, change your mind. No, no harm. So – that's what I do. I get to 
I, I get to mile 13 and I get there at about 130, 136. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, my paces really didn't drop off too bad until, until around mile 13. Um, so once I got there, I still said to myself again with that dread, you have half more to go. <laughs> you still got 13 miles to go. So uh, the last marathon that I did, um, I had some problems on mile 17. So in my mind, I guess that's where I went on this run and said, okay, if you can just get to mile 17, you're good. You know, you've only got nine more after that. But when I got to 14, it said, oh my God, you still got 12 more. So at that point, Matt, it became like uh, every, every single mile, every half mile. And you hear your watch telling you whatever your pace is and what it was. And it's getting slower and slower. <laughs> oh no. You know? Oh no. <laughs> so, and there's no way to turn that off, you know, <laughs> at that point without drowning your music out. Right. So, uh, I can't remember what, what mile we were at. And, but I did just say, okay, if you finished your last marathon at three twenty seven. your goal today was three twelve, three ten. 310. Maybe you can finish around that same time. So that was what was going through my head at that time. Of course, uh, somewhere the three twenty five pace group caught up to me and I thought, okay, I'm going to just run with these guys. If I can, just ignore the pain and run with this group that I'm, I'm okay. I'm still fine. Right. And at that point, was it, um, obviously the pain was considerable. That's self evident yeah. at this point, but was it affecting your stride as well? Or was it simply just a pain issue? It, it wasn't affecting my stride. And that's, I was, I kept telling myself if I can feel that I'm, um, more tender on one side, or if I feel like I'm getting out of line, then that's when I kept saying, I'm going to, I'm going to pull over and stop. Right. You know, yeah, cause you want to, you, you, you don't want to injure yourself in another way. Right. And I don't know if this was the smartest thing to finish that race or not, but I, in my mind, that's what I was doing that day. So the 325 pace group caught up with me and I want to say around mile 14, 15, somewhere around there. And, um, I ran with them for a while, stayed ahead of them. And uh, I tried to ignore the pain, but I couldn't. So I ended up stopping and, you know, they, they run by me and I go, okay. As soon as all of them cleared by me, I thought, okay, I'm just going to stay at the back of the pack. If I can keep my eye on them, then I know I can still finish around my last marathon time. And I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. So <clears throat> that doesn't work out either, Matt. So the, the, the pain, I mean, I, 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 there's just no way to describe that shin that that experience of every foot every time the foot hits the ground the pain just radiating up those shins so i i want to say that the 335 group came by at some point um and i thought well maybe i can stay with these guys i don't remember what mile i was on there was another uh, i do know that around mile 20, 23, there was another guy who was, me and him would run and walk, run and walk at this time. And he had, when we stopped one time, we were walking together. Uh, 
we just started talking, you know, and he was like, my hip flexor gave out on me uh, a while back. And I said, no, no worries, man. My shins are killing me. Let's just make it, you know, we'll, we'll run together. Rely on me. I'll look to you. And we ran probably, I guess was till about mile 24 and a half. And uh, he kind of fell a little further back, but I just, that point people are passing me. And that's, that's really when it gets heartbreaking when you're on those last miles of the marathon, you're thinking, man, I've already ran 20 plus miles and I've only got two miles to go or a mile to go. And there's still people passing you. And you know that you've ran a mile a hundred thousand times, but you just can't do it at that point. Yeah. And yeah, you're absolutely right. And that, that, uh, you know, my first marathon had a similar last couple mile experience, uh, for different reasons, but I know exactly what you mean. And it's a very emotional experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I couldn't figure out, I couldn't get it into words, you know, crossing the finish line for any race is supposed to be rewarding and, you know, you're supposed to be happy and feel joy. Um, I did to an extent. Just so heartbroken had happened during the race. So of course I, I was smiling when I finished, but looking back, that marathon just because of the build up to it everything looking so promising just kind of can crush your spirit for a little while and then i had to reassess you know i don't get to run you know at my coach's orders and my shins where there's no run planned for right now he wants to build the fire you know to get back out there and run he wants you to spend time with your family you know think about what your goals are for this next cycle. Do we want to try to run some five Ks, 10 Ks? Do we want to set PRs and everything? What is our goal? So there's time off to reflect and think about what you want. And all I can think about is how much my heart was broken for for that race, you know? Right. So what were like, what were like the stages of like, not, not stages of grief per se, but like what were like the stages that you went through after the race, um, dealing with the result with the backdrop of being the expectations you had because of all of the work you put into it. Ah, uh, this is where you know you, as a runner, you sit and think, and you're like, man, you don't want to sound like you're talking bad about your race because you still finished twenty six point two miles. Did I do it smart? Uh, you know, struggling through, or would I have been smarter to have enough confidence to stop? Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I also know that I finished a marathon in three hours and 39 minutes, which and this is where us as runners, I don't want to sound like there's no other way to say it. I'm I'm better than that. I know that I trained better than that. I'm much more capable of running a better time. Am I mad about that time? No. Am I disappointed? Yeah. Am I saddened? Yeah. But I'm not angry about it. Um, so the anger was never there. The, before I, I got with McCurdy train, the marathon I told you about, oh, the half marathon where I hit the little wall on mile 10 and had to walk, that race made me mad. Um, I crossed that finish line mad and was mad about the race. Um, I've stayed mad for a little while and I figured out that 
I'll never be mad about another finish. It's just not worth it. One, one race doesn't define my worth, doesn't say who I am. I know that the training that I put in is much more than what that race says. Right. And yet at the same time, it's hard to dissociate that race from you know, your, your personal experience of where you want to be as a runner and the vision that you have for where you are and where you're going. And I think part of that in terms of addressing that issue, especially for you, as you've mentioned several times in this episode, is the faith component of your life and how, how faith um, plays such a big part in how you view the world and view yourself in the world. Yeah, I, I, I am the first to say, you know, that I think God has given me an ability to kind of not only run, but inspire other people. Um, if, if, if I can achieve the goals that I set for myself and if I can continue to be better than other people who see me and especially people who actually know who I am, if I'm doing it, then, then so can you. That's a great that, that's a great point. And then how does faith for you impact how you deal with, you know, the disappointment of this last race? Uh, well, I do a lot of praying when I run, especially on easy days. Um, <laughs> so sometimes I turn my headphones all the way off and just talk to God. Um, a lot of times, well, during races and during workouts, I try to look up and say, thank you, God, <laughs> we're doing this. We got this. Sometimes I'll be running and I say, come on, Scott, you can do it. I'll say out loud, I got this. And then I'll be quickly reminded of my faith and I'll say, no, we got this. <laughs> you know, so God's always there with me through, through my running. And I know that whatever happened this past weekend, why it happened, uh, it was just there to see how I react. What's going to be next? You know, it, it can be another platform of him saying, look, we, we, we got in a little hole there. Now watch how we climb out of this. Watch, watch what comes up next. <laughs> right. And I, I think that's, that's a hard thing to grasp in the moment. A lot easier, you know, when you get a little distance from the, yeah. uh, from, from the race itself or from that experience. Now, did you always have that, um, that sort of faithful idea in your head? Have you, have you always been a person of faith in that regard? Um, well, I've always been a believer. I've never, uh, I've never doubted that, that God loves me. Um, has my belief and my faith grown stronger through running? Absolutely. Um, through fitness in general, but especially running, I feel like there's a lot of times where we as runners are out there at five o'clock in the morning and it's dark outside and it's cold or it's rainy or it's hot. And there's, when the sun comes up, you're reminded of you're just a small individual of this world that he has created for us. So, Right, right. And then for you, what were the biggest lessons that you took from this training cycle leading into this marathon, which obviously like the, the, the race itself um, you know, who knows, maybe it will spur you on to greater things and you might look back on your career and say, Hey, that was that race 
gave me things that in the moment I wasn't aware of. and It brought me to a new level. But just the, the preparation in itself, the lead up, the build up was so successful. What were the biggest lessons you took from that training cycle? Um, on this cycle, I made sure that I, I took my easy runs easier and that I also, on my long runs, I pushed through. Um, you know, in the summertime, it was a little bit different because I would set my water bottles out and I would stop during a, a 20 mile run or a 22 mile run on mile 14 and mile 18 to, to, to switch my water bottle. On this training cycle, I didn't do that. Um, I pushed through every, because it was cool enough, I didn't have to stop to get water. Um, I did a couple of more depletion runs this time without, you know, my goose or without breakfast in the mornings. And uh, I think that helped me out a whole lot, um, allowing my body to learn how to take the energy from the fat cells. I think uh, that was my biggest take on this this training cycle. Now, what did you learn about yourself in that race? Because the I'm just, you know, I tried not to, to interrupt if you were telling that story because it, I thought it was just absolutely fascinating. But I was also amazed by your perseverance and grit that you showed in that race. Did you learn anything about yourself going through that experience? Um, <laughs> let's see. I learned <laughs> a couple of things, I think, Matt. Um, one is that even no matter I, – I just remember thinking this, I guess, Wednesday of this week, matter of fact. No matter how daunting something may seem um, – you know, like I said, I'm, I'm just reminded that at, at mile eight that I kept telling myself, you've got 18 more miles of this pain. So even something so daunting, if, and I don't know if my, I think, I think it does, my faith plays a part. Uh, no matter how big or challenging something may seem with, with a little bit of faith in it, I don't even know that it has to be mountains of faith just a little bit of faith, you can get through it. Whatever it is, whatever's going on, whether it's running or, or life, just because something seems overwhelming at the time doesn't mean it's not possible. That's a great, that's a great way of saying it. Um, all right, so we're going to finish up the podcast with a bunch of like, just uh, several quick questions for you. But before we get into them, thank you so much for spending the time and, and, and giving me and the audience just a full perspective on uh, on the past couple years of your racing career i think it's fascinating i'm sure everyone else does does as well so i really appreciate that you mentioned before that you run with headphones in so what kind of music are you listening to <laughs> oh it can range this is uh i think where we get to have a little bit of fun as runners too so i use my running my music to set the tone and this uh it 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 all depends on what kind of mood I want to set up for my run that day. I may be listening to anything from Biggie Smalls and Tupac to Blues Traveler, Rage Against the Machine, Taylor Swift, Miley Cyrus. I mean, <laughs> the Dave Matthews Band, uh, whatever I feel like that day is something that, you know, I'll pick on Spotify and just let it play. <laughs> wow, that, that's, that's the full gamut right there. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, all right, so what is the best advice that you give others about, run, about running but that you have trouble following yourself? Ah, that I have trouble following myself. <sighs> Paces. 
<laughs> and and workouts keep them where they're supposed to be um when especially if, if you've got a coach and he's telling you look you need to especially the marathon pace um when we do long workout runs say a 20 mile run and my first eight are supposed to be easy and then i do uh eight at marathon pace my hard-headed self wants to run a little bit faster to for some reason it's that being able to show that we have it even though my race results already proved that I'm fast enough but I still run my marathon pace part of my run at 655 or 7 <laughs> instead of running it at 705 710 you know there's a reason he, and he's explained it over and over again we're trying to get your body accustomed to that particular pace because you're going to run that for 26 miles. So do it. <laughs> I have the same issue, Scott, because I basically want to like put it in my log and be like, see coach, see how good I am. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, you've talked a lot about this already, but I ask everybody, so I'll ask you as well. So what motivates you? Or I should, I know what, I'm sorry. Who motivates you? Who motivates you as a runner? Um, that's, that's a good one too, because there's several people like that. I locally, there are quite a few people. Um, I, I'm just going to name them that, uh, there's a, a good friend of mine who lives right down the road. who's done some runs with me and he's an ultra runner and he's an amazing, humble runner. Uh, like I said, I mentioned him or earlier he's ran several hundred mile races and uh at umstead last year in 100 miles in 19 hours and his name Oof. is justin mclamb yeah it's amazing that that, uh, that the human body is even capable of that um so justin mclamb is somebody that i admire steve jones is a great friend of mine uh he's a boston marathoner he i'll tell you a little bit about him real quick matt he after running boston he ended up having some trouble with his knees so he had to sit out and had have surgery done. Now, as a runner, everybody will be able to understand this. I'm training for a marathon, and he's checking in with me weekly, every other week, to see how my marathon training is going and giving me support. Instead of, you know, missing and envying me for running, he's wanting to see how things are going for me. And I tell you what a good guy he is. I did, did the marathon in Pennsylvania in September. Now, we've, we're from North Carolina, so that's a good ways. Him and his son-in-law came up and surprised me. They, well, they told me they were going to, the, the I think, two days before the marathon, to be able to be at whatever mile marker I needed them so they could hand me my water bottle. Holy cow. Yeah, so he's another one. There's another uh, woman – uh, she's running the Boston Marathon this year, Tabitha Collins. Uh, there's probably several that I'm not going to name, but Patrick Cutter, who's, you know, an amazing runner. My coach himself is an awesome runner. You know, I follow these people and, and, and watch their accomplishments and just, I'm in awe of, of, of like I, I said, what the human body is actually capable of. Yeah, I follow Patrick Cutter as well on Instagram. I think he's I run 26.2 is his handle. Yeah, that's, uh, yep, yep, that's him. Um, yeah, you're right. He, uh, he uh, just like yourself, has you know 
isn't built like a runner, but is able yeah. to get a lot out of that body. And it really is a, a motivating thing. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah. So if you could run only one race the rest of your life, but you could do it every year, which one would it be? Uh, well, it would absolutely be the marathon distance. But uh, I'm thinking that it would probably be the Richmond race. That was an awesome city to be in. The crowd support was really cool. So that would probably be it right now. And then what's your bucket list race that you haven't checked off yet? Uh, um, of course, every runner dreams of being able to run Boston. But I, uh, I'm really thinking about uh, the Buffalo Marathon for next year. So that's kind of been on my bucket list for the past year, year and a half. All right. I haven't heard that one before. That's interesting. I'll check yeah. that one out. Um, all right. Two more questions. The biggest hurdle you've overcome as a runner, either mental and or physical. I think we already touched on this, but I figure I had to ask. I ask everyone else anyway. <laughs> um, let's see. The biggest hurdle. Well, actually, an, another hurdle for me was uh, finding – finding the right shoes for a bow-legged runner. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so um, I've, my coach and I, I've, we, we race in the uh, Audi Zero, the Adidas Audi Zero Boston Sixes, and I train in several different shoes. But, you know, my, my favorite trainers for, for me as a bow-legged person have uh, become the, the Saucony Triumph and the Nike Pegasus. So just finding the right shoes <laughs> have been a big hurdle for me i i was gonna say the shin the shin issue at the at the last marathon <laughs> but shoes works too um so last one who is your dream running partner <sighs> wow um probably elliot kipchoge just because he's just amazing to, to watch that man run at the pace he does and with a smile on his face <laughs> coming into the home stretches of his runs, you know, like watching him run in Berlin, uh, you know, with, with the, with the younger guy, the freshman was his name. Uh, yeah. Uh, and just, just to see the grin on his face and how fluent and effortless everything is, you know, he's that I I'm thinking that would be it. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he is a one of a kind. That's for sure. As are yeah. you, Scott. Thank you so much for doing this. I just want to remind people if they want to follow you and your running exploits, they can follow you on Instagram. Your handle is at chaotic Scott. And I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Matt. It's been my pleasure, man. All right. I look forward to and happy running. You too. Thank you. <laughs>